Sports this week, Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson, and we're talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, ready to talk all things sports in Salford and beyond? I absolutely am, Rob. It's been a fantastic week of sporting fixtures within the world of football, within the world of boxing. I can't wait to break it down with you over the next hour. Super stuff, James. We're going to start with the football and we'll start with Manchester City in FA Cup action this weekend. They have beaten Southampton 4-1. Pep Guardiola's men march on. Yeah, it was never in doubt, was it? A comprehensive 4-1 win for Manchester City. Sterling, De Bruyne, Foden, Mahrez bagging the goals. They rage on into the semi-finals and you can't see past them winning the entire competition now. Yeah. Fantastic stuff for Manchester City. Obviously, Pep Guardiola has a big enough squad to, to deal with the pressures of the Premier League, of the European Cup and the FA Cup. And you, you kind of sit here and wonder how far can this City team go? It's difficult, isn't it? Obviously, they've got Atletico Madrid in the next round of the Champions League. And that's a fixture I believe they can win. I feel that if Manchester United had that little bit of extra gas in the tank, that little bit extra gasp of quality... They would have beaten Atletico Madrid. Manchester City, for me, as of right now, a significantly better side than the Red Devils. I see them bypassing Atletico. Then they're in the semis and they're back in the hunt for that Champions League trophy. Yeah, obviously, Man City in the league. They faced Crystal Palace away and drew nil-nil. Drop points. Uh, big thing for Pep Guardiola. Obviously, with Liverpool breathing down the neck. Yeah, they're very much on the tail, Liverpool, and they're just about catching up. So it's vital that Manchester City don't drop any points because we talk every single week about the big fixtures, don't we? That You need to get wins there. But it's even more important to get the wins at the slightly smaller teams because if you don't, that's where you're going to be found wanting at the end of the season. Obviously, you're talking about title races. Manchester City and Liverpool both involved in title races against each other in previous seasons. Does that affect this season's title race? Obviously, that both teams have, have had successes, let's say, as well against the other in recent seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I think they're the, they're the two best teams in England at the moment, aren't they? And they're battling out for the Premier League this season. Who has the extra legs in the tank? Probably say Manchester City, because over the course of the last few seasons, they've been the more consistent team. Obviously, Liverpool did bag. A Premier League not so long ago but all in all you see Manchester City it's the slightly more capable side when you look at all the competitions combined but you can never write Liverpool off and Klopp's certainly still in the hunt for this one because Pep obviously values every single competition uh, whereas Klopp's got his sights set on one particular trophy. Yeah I suppose it's difficult isn't it James that obviously Man City have numerous competitions and Liverpool are kind of prioritising one. Is Is that is that a thing, do you reckon? Or, or who, who comes out best with that? Manchester City have to value the Champions League the most right now because they haven't won it. It's as simple as that. Every manager wants to win everything, don't they? And you can win as many Premier Leagues as you like. I mean, we're talking about PSG, weren't we, the other week? How they win League One every single year, but they've not quite got that Champions League. And it, it makes them almost a laughing stock a year, despite the fact they're, they're an incredibly talented squad. It's the same for Manchester City. Yes, the Premier League significantly harder to win than Liga 1, but they still don't have that Champions League and they call themselves the best team in the world. They have arguably the best manager in the world, but they're still not cross the line and it eats at them and it's not going to stop eating at them unless they win the Champions League. 
Yes, and the senior numbers say the longer it goes on, the more intensity, the more pressure builds on that team and that squad. And obviously, Pep Guardiola, great coach, James. But if he can't get over the line at City, that'll certainly uh, play on his mind. Definitely. I mean, he did it, didn't he, with Barcelona? He did it with Bayern Munich. So he thought he'd swan into Manchester City. It'd be easy, be a piece of cake, like taking candy from a baby and he'd walk in. It hasn't gone down that way. They even made it to a final and threw it away. So Manchester City need to get in the zone. They've got to win this because if they don't, Pep Guardiola's legacy is going to be found wanting. Because of right now, yes, he's going to go down as one of the best managers to have ever, ever stepped foot on the touchline. But his career, his legacy, resides on the fact that he's capable of doing it no matter what team he's given. That he's capable of taking any of these big sides to Champions League glory. He's got a 100% success rate. If he doesn't cross the line with City, that success rate drops significantly and it's going to be a massive telling factor when people look back on his career. He wants to be the best of all time, the best manager to ever do it. He's only going to be classed as that if he gets it done at Manchester City. But another team who are facing a hell of a lot of pressure at the moment and Manchester United dropping out of the Champions League to Atletico Madrid. Decent first half, shocking second half and there's a lot of pressure on the squad now. Yeah, season over for Manchester United after that European exit, James. Disappointment uh, for Ralph's men. We've been, we were looking to progress after the last couple of weeks. And like you said, pressure builds on this squad. You know, the, the fans are getting restless. That they're not competing at the very top of the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City. But we have to be realistic, James. This team isn't good enough to be you know, considered to be Premier League champions. It is a building job. They are probably four, three, four years off that kind of standard, I feel. But we'll see what happens. Obviously, we don't know what the situation is with Ralph. He may go upstairs. He may carry on in the job. The uh, Glazers will be making decisions on that in the next few weeks. And, and hopefully that will then affect the players. Because obviously the players are looking at Ralph and thinking, well, you might not be here next season. So what are you telling me what to do for? So as soon as they make that decision on who will be Manchester United's manager next season, the better. And then the players can realise what the situation is and either put the wheel, put the shoulders to the wheel, James, or vacate stage left. I mean, caretaker managers tend to have a really good run, don't they? Because the players get so excited to be playing under a new manager, they all want to impress him and they start flying. Interim managers, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Because obviously they're going to be the manager for a certain period of time, but not for a long period of time. So where, where does that leave them mentally? In terms of, you mentioned there them switching off a bit under Alf Rangnick. How does he get them going when he's not going to be there next season? Well, that's the thing you see, James, because the players know that they will outlast him. So if if you don't sort of uh, get in the team or, you know, the, he asks them to do something that they're not quite sort of au fait with, then obviously they might not really put the massive effort in which is, which is required. And I suppose it's in a professional way, they'll still, you know, knock the ball about, they'll still make the tackles, but it's all about mentality for me, James, when players don't, go surging forward or don't come back and defend where they should do. They'll just track the, the run and not put the foot in. Little things like that, that's the big difference. Players are switched on mentally and want to you know, perform for the, for, the, for the team and for the coach. Then you'll see that extra 1%. But at Manchester United, there's too many players, I think, who aren't willing to go that extra mile. And, and that's a big problem for, for Ralph. And, and the board of directors, if they could decide on the new coach, uh, then obviously we all know where we stand. And then the players can either decide to back him or decide to leave.
going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out, especially with Eric Ten Hag possibly yep. coming in at the end of the season. And rumour has it that he's working on his English. Right. Well, that's that's a that's a good thing. Uh, I think the problem with him is, will he give up um, that Champions League space for Manchester United? Because if you're going to apply, uh, so you're chasing down these top coaches, aren't you, James? Across Europe, they'll be in the Champions League, won't they? They'll be compete wanting to compete at the very top. If Manchester United don't make Champions League football, which they might not do, because Arsenal are four points clear at the moment, and with a game in hand, I think so. Manchester United do need to hope Arsenal drop off to get back into that Champions League mix. But if United don't make it, will the new coach you know, want to come to Manchester United? Potentially not. I mean, Manchester United, of course, an amazing side. And it enhances any manager's legacy to have taken the mantle there. But it's a step down, isn't it, in a sense? Because Ajax got about... He's won two Eredivisie titles with Ajax. He's probably going to bag a third at the end of the season. He's playing Champions League football and he's going to give that away to go into the Europa League, a struggling Manchester United. But again, from another aspect, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's the challenge. That's the thing that's going to get you going. So if you look at this from a managerial perspective, you've got the greatest football team of all time and you've got a plethora of elite managers like Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, David Moyes, not quite elite, but a good manager. And then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well. And even Ralph Ragnick now, who couldn't get the job done. There's part of him that must be going, yeah, but I can. Mm. But that's why they take the job, because they think they can be the guy that turns it round. And obviously, you think back to the, the you know the, the glory days when Matt Busby stepped down at Manchester United. It was different because Man, Matt Busby went upstairs, which kind of Ferguson's gone upstairs. He, he's, he's kind of in advisory mode role, but Matt Busby actually was the kind of director of football. And coaches that came in, Wilf McGuinness, Dave Sexton, you know, they were they were in in Busby's shadow. And obviously Manchester United's decline continued, relegated in I think it was 73 or something like that. And then he went back up in 74 with Tommy Doherty. And it all kind of sort of came up from that point. But him being at the club and that shadow, does it affect the managers? It's a bit it's a good question, James, even though you know these coaches are massive coaches in their own right if you have Sir Alex Ferguson just just being in the place um, you know does that affect people that's a big question it does I mean every single person involved with the club has an effect and I I don't want to go backwards but I feel I need to just discuss a story that's come out this week from the Atletico Madrid match Mm. Marcus Rashford uh obviously undergoing probably the worst form of his entire career. He's really struggling at the moment since coming back from injuries. He's struggled to get back into the form he has been in in the past, that elite-level striker, that natural-born finisher. It's not quite clicking at the moment. Against Atletico Madrid, he was giving the ball away. He barely touched it, if truth be told. He just didn't have a great performance. After the game, he walks out. He's heading towards the team coach. And a load of fans who've been waiting around after the game start shouting abuse at him, left, right and centre, start having a go, start telling him how poor his performance was. He walks over, he's stopped by security, he he appears to make a rude gesture. He's clarified in a statement that it wasn't a rude gesture, he was just beckoning a fan over with his finger to say those words to his face. But either way, who's in the wrong here, Rob? Because people have taken completely different stances on this. A lot of fans are livid with Marcus Rashford that he dare critique the fans when they've paid money to watch him. 
But from the other side of the coin, and Ian Wright in particular, the ex-Arsenal legend, has stood up and said, completely out of order from the fans. They give it, they can't take it. Why are these all stood there at the end of the match rather than to build the confidence back up around this young lad? Instead, they're completely tearing him down. And if anything, they're going to degrade his performances even further. He's not going to improve like this. Yeah. I think it's, it's terrible, Jade, really, that, you know, fans do that to players. It don't, there's no, makes no sense for, for fans to shout, uh, you know, obscenities and, and, you know, aggressive stuff at players when they're walking about. That only harms their confidence, doesn't it? And to be fair, they are professional footballers. And they've gone through the whole system of, of crowds um, baiting them, opposition crowds. So I, I don't think I can say it's, it's terrible that, and fans shouldn't do it. But footballers have, have gone through that process. So really, is it water? Should it be water off a duck, off a duck's back? Really, but it's terrible. And I think obviously being your own fans is is a is a, a, a bad thing. But like you said, he is in you know a, a trough. Uh, and his his performance last season, he was flying. Uh, you know, when during the COVID situation, he was scoring goals and and holding the government to account. But at the moment, he's really struggling. And I just obviously switched off with a with a politics. Don't want to talk about that anymore. And he needs to find a bit of form, find a bit of fitness, find his goal scoring uh, touch, uh, and then all we'll all be spring all be singing his name again, won't we? Yeah, I think so. He's a great player and it's never nice when the fans turn on their own because it's ultimately up to them to build his confidence back up. If they want him to hit form again, if they want him scoring goals, hmm. they've got to get him in the correct mindset and yep. bringing his head down it isn't going to help him. But either way, looking at a few other stories coming up this week, England playing Switzerland, never the easiest game. No, Switzerland are a good side, obviously friendly time for Gareth Southgate to mix his squad up. And, you know, obviously with the World Cup coming up in, in I think it's December, in November, December, um, opportunity for players to come in and make the mark. Because obviously we did really well in the Euros, uh, getting all the way to the final. Uh, I'm sure Gareth Southgate's men, even though it is in, uh, you know, is it UAE somewhere miles away, really hot, how they deal with that is is is, is a big thing. But we're, we're going to be supporting them, hopefully. Uh, we'll be uh, raising the, the flag of St. George and celebrating uh, a come, I think it's Boxing Day, is, is the final. Yeah, I mean, I very much hope so. It'd be an amazing way to celebrate Christmas, wouldn't it? And a fantastic way to bring in the new year. But looking at a few more stories coming out of this week is the massive, massive deal between Barcelona and streaming giant Spotify. Hmm. They've signed an agreement with each other. The Swedish company are going to be branded all over Barcelona's shirts. Controversially, however, they've renamed the stadium <laughs> from the yeah. new camp to the Spotify Camp Nou. How do you feel about this? Well, I don't, to be fair, when when we're gonna when people say where the Barcelona play, it's the new camp in it. I know sponsors and naming rights are a huge thing in football. They make a lot of money for the clubs. Barcelona in financial meltdown by the sound of it, so they will be trying to claw as much money as they can back into that club and calling it the Spotify uh, new camp. Yeah, you know it's it's good on the on the you know it's for the television, it's for the newspapers, but really fans aren't going to say, you know what, are you coming down to Spotify on Saturday to watch Real Betis and Barcelona? That's never going to happen. We're going to the Camp Nou, lads. Do you fancy it? That's what they'll be talking. That's what we're saying on the streets of Barcelona. Uh, so yeah, it's more of a business situation for me, James. Truth be told. So 
let's just finish off talking about the football and let's talk about our local uh, club, Salford City FC. They were away at Rochdale and drew 1-1. Matty Lund scored the equaliser against his former club. He did. Terrific for him. I mean, it's always good to see Salford firing well. And it seems like they're improving throughout the season, doesn't it? I mean, times are a little bit hard at the moment in terms of getting into those playoff positions. But it's all looking good for next season. It is. You're right, James. And I just just feel, obviously, Gary Bowyer's men are starting to find some magic. They They beat... Uh, Scunthorpe 5-1 at home on uh, Saturday. Brandon Thomas, I think it's Hassante, scored a hat-trick uh, at the uh, the uh, stadium in Salford. And, you know, it's, it's great, obviously, Moorlane. You know, fantastic uh, stadium they have there now. The fans behind them and winning 5-1 is a, is a fantastic stuff for them. Yeah, fantastic result. Salford performing better and better and better and better. And I think I'm really proud of the way they've been performing. And Gary Bowie's got them into a fantastic state of mind. The mentality seems to be in the right place. And if they can continue this momentum into next season, there's every chance of a playoff place, Rob. Yeah, 11th in the league, James. Looking up, they've got Walsall on Saturday and then they've got Crawley uh, on the following Tuesday. So two big games there for, for Gary Bowyer's men. Two wins there and who knows what can happen. You never know, dear. I mean, it's never over until the fat lady sings. Potentially, they could still find themselves in those playoff positions. I don't think it's necessarily likely. But the form that Salford are at the moment and some of the underdog upsets they're pulling off at the moment, anything is possible. You're right. This is true, James. So that's all the football chat. And we'll start talking ice hockey now. Yeah, we most certainly will, Rob. And it's been an absolutely massive weekend in the world of ice hockey. And this week, we've got three games coming up. How are you feeling about them? Yeah, three games this week, James. Two good wins uh, for Manchester Storm. They were they won two one away at Coventry. It was a penalty shootout win. Jason by Cash Luna, the uh, replacement goaltender, the star with a couple of penalty saves there to get Manchester Manchester Storm home. And then they played Coventry at home and won four one. Adam Brady, Scott Thomas, Frankie the Tank Melton, and uh, Can. Figton uh, scored for the Storm. Great result there at, at home on in the Storm shell. The fans going mad. And then on the Sunday they went. Uh, they were at home to Belfast. Unfortunately, they lost six five. James, they were five one down going into the third quarter and staged a remarkable comeback with uh, four goals in fifteen minutes. But then Belfast just found that extra goal to, to sneak it at the end. Obviously, Ryan Finney's men, you know, clawing back to get back to, to five apiece and to, to ship that last ship that last goal uh, was a real kick in the teeth. But two wins from three this weekend, uh, James, uh, you know, will build confidence in that Storm rank. I mean, it most definitely will. And they fought back from the depths of destruction only for it to be completely taken away from them. Do you think they can still take some positives out of that game? It can, James, because obviously we talked last week about how Manchester Storm need to get on a roll. And it's all about confidence, James. You know, them two wins out of three this week, and they've won a couple in the last couple of weeks. That's what the players need. They need to be able to know they can win. Playoffs are coming up. Storm need to get on the, the gas start getting up that, that league. Disappointment that they couldn't find the, the way uh, over the line against Belfast. But Two out of three ain't bad. And that's what Meatloaf said. So we'll stick with that. 
<laughs> we absolutely will, Rob. And it's been a big moment this week for one of Manchester Storm's big players. Can you fill us in on what's gone on? Yeah, Dallas Earhart, captain courageous, at 300 games for Manchester Storm. He's a kind of defender. He is the heartbeat of, of the club and of the team. And he celebrates, like you say, 300 games uh, for Manchester Storm. Fantastic, uh, you know, ambassador for the club and, and obviously the Storm fans you know show their appreciation uh, down at the Storm shelter and uh, you're hoping like say he keeps playing and who knows might be 400 coming up shortly most certainly and the season is drawing to its conclusion ice hockey fans are absolutely devastated they're going to have to wait several more months for another mm. big season ahead but there's a little bit more to enjoy still but Manchester Storm have organised their end of season awards Tell us a bit about that, Rob, and, and do you fancy anybody to pick up an award? Yeah, 14th of April, uh, Cresta Courthouse is the Manchester Storm End of Season Awards. And, and like you said, got some good players in this Manchester Storm uh, lineup. Like I said, Frankie, the tank, Melton, he's a, he's a good player. Cam uh, Critchlow, Adam Brady, you know, these players are, are certainly you know, going to be in the mix when it comes to end of season awards. And, you know, it's going to be a great night. Lots of storm uh, things going on and, and the players are there to, to, to sort of bond with the fans. And, and I'm sure the Manchester Storm fans will be looking at this and thinking, how do I get a ticket? And you know what? I'll tell you how you get a ticket. You contact them at storm support at storm dash office.com. You contact them and they'll give you more details about how much the ticket is and how you can collect it. Speaking like a wonderful promoter there, Rob. <laughs> There's some fantastic fixtures coming up this week. Can you promote them too? Yes, yes, James. They've got five uh, at home on the Saturday, five bottom of the league. So it's important that Storm to pick the two points up there. And then it's the big game, War of the Roses, Sheffield away on the Sunday. I'm sure there'll be a big contingent uh, from the Storm coming on over the Pennines because uh, obviously the Sheffield game is always big so I'm sure that Ryan Finney's men uh, will be ready for that contest and be cheered on by the masses uh, that will make it over the Pennines to watch Most certainly it's exciting and I'm sure every Manchester Storm fan will be tuned in to the War of the Roses because it's going to be a big one but now moving on to the world of boxing I am absolutely delighted to be joined as ever by Paul Whiteside. And before we get on to the big stuff, there was a fantastic show in Manchester. Mark Heffron top of the bill and a plethora of other Manchester boxing talents. Yeah, it was an Oldham actually, James. It was a good night at the Oldham Leisure Centre um, last night. I really enjoyed that work with my sister and um, Mark Heffron now. He's, he's on the verge of a British uh, title shot, I believe. Um, so, um, you know, we're looking forward to that now. I think that's the, that's where he's aiming. He's got to speak to his uh, to his team now, and, and and that's the fight he wants now to fight for the British belt. So uh, it should be good. But there was some some cracking fights on last night. Um, Sheffield fighter Shaquille Thompson, he, he he looked good. You know, six foot three southpaw. He had a fantastic uh, stoppage there as well. And it was also nice to see Michael Gomez Jr.'s uh, son. Uh, sorry, Michael Gomez Jr. Michael Gomez, his son, win on uh, on points in a, in a real tough fight as well. So uh, nice to see Anthony Crawler there in the corner, Mark Efron, along with Scott Quigg. So uh, it was a who's who of boxing in Oldham last night, and a very enjoyable night, you know, to uh, to, to go and watch. You know, we see these big shows on the, on the television, but there's nothing quite like going to to local shows. You know, I advise anybody to get down to your local show. It's not expensive, and uh, you know, you, you do get a great night's entertainment and a great view as well. We had a, we had a cracking view, so a really good night in Oldham and. and well done to Mark and best of luck with his uh, British title uh, challenge. 
Yeah, most certainly. It sounds like quite a nostalgic evening watching uh, the son of Michael Gomez Jr. Does, does he have his dad's flair? He does. He does. Well, we we, we were stood on the side. We decided not to sit down and, and we stood along a barrier because it was a better view, really. And you get that atmosphere when you stood up. And we had sort of a gang of about 60 to 80 people who'd come from some sort of the Moston, North Manchester area to cheer on Michael uh, Gomez Jr. They all wearing sombreros like they did for uh, for his dad, you know, the sort of Irish Mexican that they used to call him, didn't they? And uh, yeah, they all had the sombreros on and the big, thick sort of Manchester accents cheering him on. And it was a fantastic atmosphere. It really was because you had sort of groups of people from different parts of the northwest, people from sort of Sheffield, Manchester, Bolton, and everyone was cheering their fighter on. And obviously the the home crowd for Mark Efron from Oldham, and it really was a a, a really good atmosphere. It's, it's sort of a sports hall at the Leisure Centre, so uh, it keeps the noise in as well. It was so noisy, and it's not on par with like the Manchester Arena, but it was it was special. It really was, and um, yeah, we really enjoyed it. But yeah, Gomez entertained. He really did. I can't remember the name of his opponent, but he was a Spanish lad and 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 very uh, very very tough as well. It was it was a good fight that he could have gone either way really. Gomez got it on points, but uh, but both fighters were trading in leather there in the in sort of the, the final rounds, and a few points were taken off for low blows, and I think there was a, a point taken off for holding as well. So it was a really entertaining one that sort of swung both ways. But uh, Mark Efron's win, it was in the third round, a third round stoppage. He was. Um, he sort of put his foot on the gas, really, and, and got his opponent out of there. He, he looked like he could go up that that next step. And, um, you know, he's been in with some good fighters, Efron, you know, like Liam Williams and Denzel Bentley. So he's got all the credentials to go up to, to, to fight for a British belt again, which I'm, uh, I'm sure he's ready for. Yeah, it sounded like a cracking show anywhere. And uh, if people are interested in going to local shows, they're cracking. And I'm more than just going down because you get a brilliant flavour for upcoming stars that don't necessarily get the exposure of the big matchroom and Queensbury Bills. But anyway, moving on, we constantly criticise YouTuber boxing on these shows, celebrities stepping into the ring with very little experience. But an event that captivated fans this week was a match-up between Four Bjornsson and Eddie Hall, the 2017 and 2018 World's Strongest Men. And people often say that weightlifters don't have a place in boxing. Well, these two men, by definition were weightlifters, both weighing in at over 300 pounds, massively muscular men, but they look good in Dubai, in the ring, trading leather, trading knockdowns, and they put on a bit of a spectacle for the fans. I believe so, yeah, I do believe so. I I caught a bit of um, Eddie Hall's training in the week, and um, he was training with a sort of a lad that I'd say is an average size, really, with like um, a body belt on, and Eddie Hall just hit him with a jab, and and the poor lad went flying across the ring, (laughs) so I thought, you know, he's carried some power there, and obviously his opponent, he's a big, a very big man as well, so there there was going to be some some power there, and sometimes though, you you know, when you're big like that, it's difficult to to get the movement of a boxer, because you're carrying that much sort of size and that much weight, but but these two, um, they moved quite well, didn't they, and and like you said, they, they traded punches and traded knockdowns, and it was quite a brutal, quite a brutal fight and, and entertaining to watch as well. So I think they, they did it for the right reasons. And um, and, and yeah, they're, they're both tough athletes anyway, aren't they? I mean, Strongman is is something I, I like to keep my eye on. I like to watch it every year. It's normally around Christmas time and I, I watch the British one in the world where I think they're tremendous athletes, you know, the, the power and the sort of the, the, the psychological way to get through, you know, looking at something and having to pick that up. It's, it's tremendous. So, so they put on a good show. It, it was an enjoyable fight. So for Bjornsson, 
he picked up the victory here. Eddie Hall looked good for the first couple of rounds. I mean, he lacked fundamental boxing technique, it was obvious. His leaping right hand did catch his opponent on a few occasions, but ultimately the Icelander a little bit too good for him. It felt like he was the one who's nailed those boxing fundamentals a little bit better. Obviously, he's lacking experience, it's clear to see, but I mean, his hands were up high. He was throwing decent one-twos. Does he have any sort of future in the sport? Well, I mean, he has a fantastic athletic background. We've seen people come through relatively late in this sport. I mean, Lucas Brown took it up, I think, at 30 and won a, a version of the world title. Deontay Wilder coming in from a basketball background, taking the sport up late. Is there any sort of future for four in this or is it just a couple more exhibitions? Um, I, th- I think you'd have to ask him. I think it depends what what route he wants to go down you know with, with boxing it's it's one of them it's a very disciplined sort of lifestyle you've got to lead as well haven't you and you know you, you've got to put the, the hours in but he obviously does that for his training anyway he's a natural athlete anyway so I think if he's focused and wants to wants to do it then, then, then why not um, you know he's obviously got got some raw talent there and that that talent can be brought and I mean boxing yeah you, you've got to be talented but you've also got to be brave as well and, and, and be able to take a punch and and you know, have to be you know, we've we've seen a lot of heavyweights, particularly recently on on some of the shows over here, and some of the guys are, are decent. But you know, you can, you can you can have a decent career, I think, as a one-two merchant counter as well. So you know, that's what he looked like there. And if if he's if he's got the talent, he's got the skill, he's got the heart to do it, then then why not? Because he's 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 a big lad, and he's going to cause people problems, isn't he? Heavyweights is a big division and if you're a big man there as, as people have proved in the past you, you can cause damage so uh, so it'll be interesting to see what role he takes I'm not sure how old he is so uh, like you said before Lucas Brown and, and people like that have come in from different angles so uh, so yeah it'd be exciting to see because that sort of size he carries is, is quite rare it most certainly is. You don't really get big men, I suppose, aside from Tyson Fury, who, who can move like that. Obviously, he's not quite at the level of a Tyson Fury, but th- there is some raw talent there. But while we're still on the celebrity theme, we're going back to YouTubers very quickly here. A lad called Adam Sala, an American YouTuber, he was looking for an opponent for a date at the O2 Arena on October 30th. Remarkably, he's found one. And it's arguably the biggest name to be stepping foot in this celebrity boxing yet. Manchester United legend Patrice Evra is stepping foot into the ring. And this is just crazy as far as I'm concerned. Because these names, they're blowing up into the stratosphere. Because Evra's a, a global superstar. Yeah, and, it, and what sort of backgrounds he got in boxing? No, I mean, it's... I find it strange sometimes. You know, boxing, as we've spoke about it so many times in here, it's... It's more than a sport, isn't it? You don't play boxing. It's it's a difficult sport, and you know people like that. You you've got to understand that you you going in there, and if you get something wrong, you could have a sort of life changing sort of injury. So I don't know. I don't know how they get these sort of things sanctioned. Sometimes I presume Patrick ever has, has done some training and and things like that. But how do they get these these sort of fights passed and you know and get licenses for them? Not too sure how it goes, but it just shows. I think if you've got followers and you've got clout behind, especially on social media, you can you can do what you want. But um, but yeah, I'm glad he found himself an opponent. He could have rung me up. I'd have fought him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think he'll have his workout against Patrice Ever. I mean, he surely must have done some some sort of boxing or, or whatever in his youth. I presume otherwise he, he probably wouldn't have took that. So it'd be interesting to find out and and, and see what his take is on it. Most certainly. And before we move on to this weekend's action, I want to quickly look back on Saturday night in Dubai. Sonny Edwards taking on Mohamed Wazim. 
on Eurosport, so not necessarily getting the big publicity of a Sky Sports or BT Sport, but he looks scintillating as ever. And a potential rumoured matchup next is Julio Cesar Martinez, the man who just lost to Chocolatito Gonzalez comprehensively. But of course, the Nicaraguan's a bona fide legend and there's no shame whatsoever losing to him. Martinez now stepping back into his natural weight class. He still has a world title and it'd be a good unification matchup, especially considering Martinez beat his brother. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and Edwards is, is somebody that's um, has always impressed me. He, he really has. He, he, he talks to talk as well, doesn't he? As well as being able to walk the walk. He's um, you know, a talented guy, but he's a, he's a confident guy as well. And he's a good ticket seller and, and a good character to have in the sport. So uh, you want, want to see him do well. And, and those names you've mentioned there, and that, that could really propel him into... A big start, and then couldn't you talk about unification and clashes and that? So, uh, so yeah, we'll have to see how that one goes. But he's he's definitely he's, he's probably somebody that the big names would want as well because he's a talented fighter. And you know, if they can take a bit of belt from him or he can take a belt from them, that's all good, most certainly. And there's a few big fights coming up. I mean, if we stick down this Prabellum theme. Obviously, they had Sonny Edwards last week. They're coming back to Newcastle this week with Lewis Ritson in a decent little fight here against Dejan's Latichinin. Uh, he's not really done, had much action since winning a world title a few years ago and then losing it to Mikey Garcia. But Brits will remember him for beating Ricky Burns. So it's a decent little test for Ritson. It is, yeah. And, and Ritson's, you know, he's had uh, a few sort of downward moments himself hasn't he came along and um, you know was expected to be the, the next big thing wasn't he really and um, he's had a defeat and you know a few setbacks in his career and he's starting to, to rebuild now isn't he so this will be a big test for him and he's another one he's, he's, he's a very well liked man in boxing especially in the North East he's a big ticket seller um, and, a, and a good character in the sport as well so uh, yeah he want, he'll want, wanted to rebuild his career and start climbing the ladder again you know and climbing up those rankings so this will be a good test for him definitely and on Saturday, we have a really big one. Kiko Martinez versus Josh Warrington, the rematch for the IBF world title. And it's been been very strange, this, because their careers have taken completely different paths. You've got Martinez, who lost those big fights to Quigg and Frampton and then seemingly fell into the abyss. He comes back, he fights Josh Warrington. He's very unlucky not to get the decision that night. And then... Nothing much from him. He ends up losing to Zelfa Barrett very controversially. Whereas Josh Warrington rises up, beats Lee Selby, beats Carl Frampton, get, robs Kid Galahad blind, really, vacates the title to avoid Galahad, ends up getting wiped out by Lara. In the rematch, he picks up a draw after the cut. Meanwhile, Kiko Martin steps up, knocks Galahad out cold in one of the biggest upsets of the year. And now they're back facing each other in a rematch that nobody particularly expected. It's difficult to call. Martinez got far more momentum going into this one, but ultimately those years add up and surely Warrington's for Asher. You would have thought so. Kiko Martinez, I wouldn't like to say how many fights he's been in, but I bet he's around the 40-50 mark. Um, he's been, it seems to have been around a long time. Some of his team were actually at the Oldham Ledger Centre on, uh, on Saturday night. The, the Spanish, one of the Spanish fighters there uh, was, was um, had one, of, I think it was Kiko Martinez's corner man that was with him. So, uh, 
So yeah, he's a fighter. I've always enjoyed it. I was at the the um, arena when he fought Scott Quigg. Very brave man. Um, never ducked anybody. Been in some very very tough fights, but as he got a lot of miles on the clock, it's a good story though. Like you just painted the picture there of, of how it's gone and how his career's gone and and how they're back together now and, and the way it went, especially with um, Martinez beating um, Galarad in that in that fight. You know, knocking him out cold. As you said massive massive shock there. Uh, but I think you've got to give him credit, Martin, as he's, he's got he showed great character throughout his career and, and and been in some absolute wars. Josh Warrington, as you said, he's been fortunate in a couple of his, his fights, but he's another one who, who's come up and, and beaten people that have been put in front of him, you know, one or two controversially. But this makes a very intriguing fight. You would expect Warrington to be the favourite. Um, but as we know in boxing that doesn't always work and you know if I was Josh Warrington I'm very very wary taking on Kiko Martinez because he can punch he can bang he really can and um, he needs to be on his guard definitely Somebody else who can bang Paul is Zach Parker and Frank Warren has been on an absolute tear at the moment didn't really do much at the start of the year and I know he's just had a show with Davin Avanesian defending his EBU title and a bit of a mismatch but but either way, he's moving on now. Tyson Fury versus Dillian White at Wembley Stadium, April 23rd. He's back the following month with another bumper stadium show as Zach Parker challenges for the WBO interim world title against Demetrius Andrade, somebody famous over here for beating the likes of Liam Williams. He's got dazzling skills, pound-for-pound level talent. He's lacked those breakout fights. He's not fought the Canelos of this world. He's not fought the the Benavideses and the Charlos and the Glofkins. He's he's a. I mean, I know I know he was scheduled to fight Billy Joe Saunders, but it never happened. And he's been criticised for not wanting to step up. But he will fly over to the UK to take on Zach Parker at his ground at Derby County's official stadium. And yes, a massive ask for Parker. But with that home crowd roaring support, can they will him over the line? Or is Andrade just a little bit too slick? Uh, put me on the spot there. I'm a bit of a romanticist when it comes to boxing and sport, so I'd say he's got every chance. I think if you if you've got that crowd behind you, they, they can be the extra sort of extra bit of adrenaline that you need. But you've got to be, you, I'd probably have to go with Andrade though because I've seen him, you know, destroy some of my favourite boxers. You know, particularly his, his victory over Brian Rose. That was quite a while ago now, wasn't that? Was a world title fight as well that, that Brian went into. So. Yeah, he's a, he's a good fighter, Andrade, and you know his fight over Williams was another good win for him as well. Another decent boxer in this country, and is he is it just going to be a step too far? Well, we'll see. We'll see how good Zach Parker is, won't we? I mean, if he is going to propel himself to world level, these are the kind of fights you've got to win. You've got to win these fights. No one gives away a world title belt. You've got to go and earn it. So uh, he's got every chance. He's in his own backyard. You know, you're fighting at Derby County's stadium, which is a, is a lovely stadium. Going to have, I don't know, 30,000, you know, folk behind you. So uh, he's got every chance, but it's a tough task. It really is. Andrade's a, a classy operator. And keeping with the theme of the WBL, They've recently released their world title rankings in the super lightweight division. Jack Cattrall's been ranked at number three, which means if Josh Taylor vacates his world championships, Cattrall won't get a shot at the belt, which is deeply upsetting because he clearly beat Josh Taylor. And perhaps even more controversially, the man who's ranked at number one now is Tiafimo Lopez, a fighter coming off a loss, but more importantly, is promoted by top rank. It seems very in-house. Josh Taylor, schooled, blind, 
wins. And then that's obviously a top rank man himself. And then a top, another top rank fighter steps in to take the vacant belt. And it just doesn't look great. No, I think with Josh Taylor, though, he's get out clause in all this. I mean, in an ideal world, he'd fight Cattrall again, wouldn't he? And they'd have a rematch. But his get out clause is that he can't make the weight anymore. He made that clear after that last fight. He was struggling to make the weight. And I don't know. I think if he had anything about him, he'd, he'd go back and fight Cattrall again. They'd have a rematch because it, how can you take Josh Taylor seriously? I mean, I've got nothing against him personally, but I find him hard to take serious in his interviews and what have you because I just think he's, he's lying to himself, really. But I've watched that fight twice now and I've scored it the same every time because I don't see how he how he won it so you've got a feel for Jack Cattrall you really haven't is he going to miss out now is he going to I don't know I think the character of, of Jack Cattrall I think he's going to just work even harder I think it's going to make him a determined man and he's going to have to go the hard way and, and, and try and get there again but will he get there though will, it, will he ever get a chance again you know you've just been speaking there about the politics in boxing or with, with how, how it's worked there and you know sometimes you know people can can do the best and, and work really hard and, and you know put the all the sacrifices put their lives on the line and not get those opportunities again so you've got a feel for the lad I think he's robbed blind and he must be going through a lot of them it must be hard for him to get back in the gym and train because there must be so much going through his head yeah, it's very difficult for him, isn't it? I mean, he's just signed with Prebellum, so hopefully they can get him somewhere. But it's difficult to know where to go because opportunities at the Undisputed Championship come up once in a lifetime. He's unlikely ever to get that shot again. So, so it's very upsetting for him, but hopefully he can find it within himself to keep going and keep pushing because he's a world-class fighter. And look, it seems like he's the best super lightweight in the entire planet. But the last story, before I move it on to the rugby, Dave Allen stepped back in the ring against the journeyman, but he got him out in two rounds. Looking good, looking in shape. He's now focusing on a collision with Alan Babich. And the Savage has looked good in his career, rocked in his last fight. But aside from that, he's looked pretty perfect. Is that a fight you'd like to see? Or should Dave Allen, should he stay retired? Uh, well, we, we were both quite surprised when he, when he made his comeback. You know, um, after what he'd been saying about his, his sparring, and you know, he took a few knocks, and, and I think he thought his body was telling him it was time to finish. Um, I know he's not the oldest bloke in the world, but like you said, there he's coming and, and, and fought a journeyman and, and won. That's going to build his confidence. But you've got to watch out now and think what is his level. You know, if you step up to a higher level than a journeyman or a gatekeeper or whatever, you're fighting at a higher level, a, fight at a higher intensity. You're putting yourself in danger then of of, of of, of being hurt, aren't you? So um, only only he knows that. Only he knows what he's up for and what he can do. Um, so we'll have to see see how he goes. I'd like to see that fight. It'd be a good fight. Only if Dave Allen's ready to to to, to put himself in in that risk. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Dave Allen, a remarkably popular fighter. Just hope he's doing it for all the right reasons. But that's all the time we have for the boxing this week. I'm going to throw it over to Rob, who's got some questions on rugby league. Yep, let's start with uh, Salford Devils, Paul. They were victorious on Friday night at the AJ Bell Stadium. They beat Leeds 26 points to 12. Talk us through it. Yeah, um, it was it was a good game, Rob. I mean, it were two sides that, I mean, I think they battered each other in the first half. And, um, 
you know, you know, there was, it was a tough game. There wasn't a lot of uh, missed tackles or anything. There was there were two sides that defended pretty well, and two sides that were in poor form, really. You know, trailing twelve points to eight as we we did going into that last twenty minutes of the, of the match, we were staring down the barrel. Really, I think another Leeds try would have turned us over, but the game was turned, like I said, by a piece of brilliance from uh, Joe Burgess, taking the ball cool as a cucumber in his own in goal area, racing down a pitch. And what a fantastic move from Salford. Move the ball from left to right, flowing counter-attack move, and Chris Atkins scores in the corner. Max Need boots the goal off the touchline. Salford in front for the first time in the match, 14 points to 12. And in the last sort of 10 minutes of the game, Elijah Taylor powers in. King where goes striding through, gives a ball to Ryan Briley. Great to see Briley go over and Salford turn the game on its head, winning by 26 points to 12. So a fantastic night at the AJ Bell Stadium. Loads of um, of young kids there, young people there, enjoying it, getting autographs after the game. Real carnival atmosphere. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a super night to be involved. Yeah, nearly 6,000 crowd attendance, Paul. 2,200 from the local schools, including uh, children, teachers and support staff. Fantastic. The uh, director, Paul Trainer managed to get uh, the tickets out to the local community and the local schools. And that's the future of Sulphur Devils, that they need the people of Sulphur Tip behind them. And things like this will help. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it is, you know, the, the children have, have bought into that. And there's nothing quite like a, like a win. Like, like that, you know, to, uh, to 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 get them to get them up for him. If we'd have got hammered, you know, they'd have all gone home disappointed. But I think they're all buzzing those those children after the game, and you can see them all getting their autographs and sort of walking out of the stadium with big smiles on their faces. And they want to come back now. They'll be saying to their parents, "I love that. It was a great night because it was. It was a terrific atmosphere. I mean, I was sat with my dad, and as the teams came out, it was absolutely buzzing. Then it did feel special on Friday night. It was different. I mean, I know we played Toulouse in our other home game and there was not much away support there, but, you know, this this was a was a really good game and a, and a good result as well. It was a good win. I mean, I've read some match reports from some of the Yorkshire press and they sort of slagged it off and said it was a poor game and two poor teams. And I think it was in the early stages, but I think the game came to life and I think you've got to give um, yourself a bit of credit for the way they turned it round. So uh, it was a good performance against a big Leeds pack. And don't forget, we've still got some players out injured as well. You've got Harvey Levette missing, Callum Watkins, Dan Sargent, you know, two quality centres there, and the, and the guys who are playing at the moment, I think they're doing really well. You know, King Von Yayo, a fantastic performance run, the amount of yards he made, and Alex Gerrard as well, I thought was absolutely outstanding, taking carting the ball up, doing loads of tackling. And it's great to see Ryan Brown, as I said before. He'd, uh, he'd had a difficult few weeks with you know some inconsistent performances, and then he, he comes up with a making a great try for uh, Ken Seo from a lovely kick, and then and scoring a try for Salford as well. So you know they had to stand up and be counted. They looked in the mirror last week, and and obviously they had some harsh questions with themselves, the players, and, and they come back and found the answers. Yeah, they've got Wigan in the Challenge Cup at the DW Stadium this week, Paul. Big game, obviously, with, with recent history. We've done quite well in the Challenge Cup, getting to the final against Leeds, but unfortunately going down to defeat. Opportunity, Wigan will be a tough test. They certainly will, yeah. I mean, you know, people sort of who've, who've watched rugby league through the sort of 80s and 90s will know that that Challenge Cup was, was more or less Wigan's trophy, wasn't it? They won it that many times and, and went to Wembley. It's, it's, it's a competition that's steeped in their history and, and it's all for history as well. We've, we've played a lot of history in the, in the Challenge Cup, you know, we've, Hans Todd Trophy and things like that. So this is a big game. It's a big game for Salford. Wigan have been playing pretty well. I know they got humbled in France against Catalan, didn't they? But, uh, you know, they, they, they bounced back at last week and beat Castleford. So they're always difficult to beat home. You know, Jai Fields playing tremendously well for them at the moment. He, we've got to watch him. You know, the pace he possesses is outstanding. But they've got some good players as well. You know, some good players in the pack, the likes of Liam Farrell. So this is going to be a tough test for Salford. We've got to back it up now and... Uh, 
and play as well as we did against Leeds and, and maybe even a bit better. Yeah, news this week broke that Salford City FC are planning to stay at Peninsula Stadium for next season and move to the AJ Bell in the 2023-2024 stadium their season. Sorry, there is no sort of confirmation of what happened, how that affects Salford Devils because Salford Devils were due to move to the Peninsula next season. So what what do you see? Obviously, they, they talked about. Being having work to do uh, regarding Salford Devils' future. Um, how what does that make? How does that make you feel, Paul? I'm not sure. Rob. Uh, I'm not so sure, but I I don't see how, how how Salford City football can afford to play at the AGM when they're getting crowds in 1900. I think they have got 1900 weekends. So they're getting 2000. So they're probably thinking they need to work on the crowds. They need to get promotion. So. I don't know. Are they going to get some more money invested? I'm not too sure, to be honest. But as for Salford Red Devils, it's it's frustrating because we, we don't know where we're going to be. You just want to know what the future holds. And, and we've got the right people at the club looking after us. And I'm sure, you know, things will, will go to plan. Um, and if it means we have to stay at the AJ Bell for another season, as long as we can afford that financially and we're secure, then uh, I don't see a problem in that. It's a good stadium. But I just hope it's not going to set us back financially. But like I said, Paul King, people running the club, I'm sure they'll, they'll 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 make the right decision for us, and uh, you know, and obviously Salford City will, will go their own way and make the right decisions for them. Yeah, uh, Salford reserves played against Wakefield uh, on Saturday. They lost 34 points to 12. Tries from Jamie Pye, Chris Waddell, and uh, two goals from Callum Green. Not enough for Danny Barton's men to record the victory there, but it's more about development in the uh, the reserves, Paul. And then the ladies they face Featherstone on Sunday in the League Cup. They were they had a game postponed uh, last week against Widnes because Widnes couldn't field the side, but they beat Wigan. St. Pat's the week before, uh, 42-0. So it's a good sign for Chris Bates' men uh, going into this cup contest. Yeah, it certainly is. They're making good progress. I think they got a bye, didn't they, against Woodness because they couldn't feel the team. So they're probably frustrating for the ladies. I mean, nobody really wants a, a bye. Do you? you want to go out and win the game? So, uh, so yeah, they'll be focused for Featherstone. You know, Featherstone are a tough, uh, tough lady side. They've had a, a team for a good number of years now, so they're uh, they're going to be one to to watch. But it's you know the way Salford ladies are playing at the moment. You'd, you'd back them against anybody. The confidence that's flowing through the ladies' team at the moment sensational. So uh, I'm sure they'll have another good result coming up this week. Yeah, let's talk about Swinton Lions. Their ladies team faced Illingworth and lost 14 points to 22. Illingworth are the Winter League champions, so it was a tough encounter for the Lions. But I'm sure they're going to grow from that. Tries from Catherine Sweeney, Maddie Corrigan and Ellie Turstell weren't enough. But I'm sure, like the Salford Red Devils ladies, it's a development for them. And hopefully they'll see uh, you know future improvements. Yeah, well, I believe they're playing Salford ladies again, aren't they, soon? So uh, mm. there'll be an opportunity there for them to uh, to put the wrongs right in another derby fixture. So, yeah, I think I think both uh, Salford and Swinton ladies are, are making progress. And I think both clubs are making progress, you know, on a whole, Salford and Swinton, with what's going on off the pitch and, and things like that. But clubs are growing and Salford, as we spoke about with, with the ladies team and, and all the children that are coming to the, the game and that I think it's been a good a good few weeks for Salford, a good month or so um off the off the pitch and with the buzz that's around the club. I've I've heard supporters from other clubs telling me that, that it seems like everything's going well at the moment, which it is, so uh, long may it continue. Yeah. Swinton Lions start their season. This Sunday, they face West Wales at, uh, at home. Uh, will be a good test for the Lions. Obviously, relegated last season. They'll be looking to bounce back uh, to the Championship. 
Yeah, no disrespect to West Wales, they were like the rubbing rags, really, weren't they, last season of the, of the league? They, they struggled and they had a lot of defeats. They pepped up and then they got a few decent results towards the end of the season, but they're probably one of the favourites to finish lower down in the table. So Swinton would be expected to, to put in a big performance, I think, and get the season off to a flyer because we've spoke about before, haven't we? There's some tough sides in that league. You know, it's like Sir Keith, I mean, I know Swinton beat them in a friendly, so that'll have boosted the confidence. North Wales, I think, uh, one of the dark horses, Rochdale on it as well. So it's going to be a tough season for them, but uh, need to get off with a good start. Yeah, there's tickets available. See tickets still available down there. Hopefully the people of Swinton will get behind. I know your corporate ticket, you can do it for £15. Meal before the game. Uh, and it's great, obviously, the community feel down there. Uh, it's hopefully going to build and build for the Lions. Yeah, it's, it's a nice facility. They've got a Haywood Road as well. They've got a lovely clubhouse and uh, it's, it's a good little ground. There's plenty of access, plenty of parking. And uh, Swinton have made that their home over the last few years and it's a, it's a good atmosphere as well. So, so yeah, it's about kicking on for them now and, and building this season and there's nothing like you know building your crowd and building your fan base by winning matches and challenging promotion so that's what they've got to do this season that's going to be the mission for Alan Coleman to uh, to accomplish come the end of the season yeah, obviously Swinton Lions have a fantastic supporters trust as well and, and they're linked up to, to the club and they work hard to, to try and make the best for Swinton Lions. And obviously with a minute and a half to go, uh, Paul, it's important, obviously, the people of, of Swinton, even though Hayward Road is a, a bit of a distance away, get behind this team because this team, obviously relegated last year, they want to prove a point that they are a championship club. They're well run now and they just need support from the people with a minute to go. What would you say to them? people of Swinton listening to this get behind your team get behind your team because you know Swinton's a, a fantastic club plenty of history behind it as well like like Salford and uh, you know they're proud supporters at Swinton I know they've been out of the out of the town for a long time now but uh, they don't let that get grind them down you know they, they keep supporting the club and like I said they've made the Haywood Road their, their own and um, I, I'm, I'm expecting them to challenge for promotion this season and I've actually backed them to get promoted so I hope they do hope they have a great season and uh, good luck against West Wales this week yeah, 10 seconds, Paul. Are they going up this season? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. like I said, we're hoping and we'll be here to support them and, and talk about every week on the Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. They're a local rugby league team, just like Salford Devils, and we'll be promoting them throughout. Big thanks for tuning in to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.